Amen. Well, this morning we are excited to continue our series, uh, The Church Is. The Church Is. And we have covered a lot of ground in just the first three weeks. We are in week four of our series, which will be a six-week series. And so we're excited for the Lord has for us ahead, as well as what we've learned already from the previous three weeks. Um, oh, there they are. To have, um, Ray and Connie attended here for many, many years and decided in my prayer. Anyway, I don't know what they're praying for. I don't know, but we'll see what happens. It was good to see Ray at prayer breakfast yesterday. Um, I didn't see him in the kitchen, though, so I didn't I didn't know where he was. I was like, he's not in the kitchen cooking. So, of course, he did. At the very end, he did go in there and warm some stuff up. So he just had to get in the kitchen. I expected to see him at the door handing out bulletins this morning. I was like, knowing Ray, he's just going to jump right in. Like, watch out, watch out. This is my spot. Let me hand out some bulletins. So, no, it's so good to have those guys with us this morning. Uh, again, uh, the, the series so far, the previous three weeks, we have looked at encouraging our understanding of our calling as a church in this world and our calling as followers of Christ as we gather together. And so that's really the whole point of this series. What is our calling as a church in the world today? And then as we understand that calling individually then, what are we called to, to do and to be when we gather together in the church. And there's a lot of different opinions on this, a lot of different ideas on this. And we've covered a lot of ground as to the reality that the church is not for us, but the church is for Jesus. The church is founded on Christ, his person and his divinity, his gospel, who he is as the son of God is the foundation of our church. And the church, because of those things, is a family. And so we are a family in Christ gathering together. So if you missed any of the previous three weeks, you can go online, you can find on our website, northgoodland.org, or on our app, uh, Northgoodland BC, in your app store, you can find all the previous services and watch those back and kind of catch up to where we are this morning. So as we continue to discover what the church is, and in so doing, my prayer also is we will discover what the church is not. So we want to know what the church is, and by addressing that, I believe it will give us clarity as to knowing what the church is not. I want to talk this morning to the truth that the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Open your Bibles this morning, and I do hope that you have a copy of God's Word with you. Uh, Romans chapter 12. If you don't have uh, a copy of God's Word, either on a device or in print, uh, there are some Bibles in the seats in front of you and around you, and you can use one of those. And if you're using one of those, uh, you can just turn to page 799. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats there, page 799, Romans chapter 12, and we are going to begin in just a moment in verse 4. So Romans chapter 12 and verse 4. Did anybody wake up a little bit groggy this morning? Your head's a little cloudy, maybe the cloudiness outside of the rain. Um, I woke up with just not much working this morning as far as my mind is concerned. Um, forgot something, had to turn around and go back to the house. Um, forgot another thing that I was supposed to bring. So uh, it's just been one of those mornings. So I, I want to I do this in just a moment. We're going to pray, obviously. And so I want you, we're going to read the scripture and, and talk a little bit. But I want us to, to kind of take a moment, and I know we've gone through the worship and praise God for singing praise to him, amen, uh, lifting up the name of Christ. But I want to take a moment, I want to just pray that, that we would just make sure we ask the Lord to give us clarity of thought. Um, so often we can come to church and it's just about how it feels, and, and emotion is fine as long as it's led by truth. 
And so I want to take just a moment and uh, we're going to pray actually, I said in a minute, but we'll pray now and, and ask the Lord to give us clarity of mind. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but would you pray for me that I would have clarity of mind? As I, like I said, I just feel like a little cloudy this morning, um, just a little tired this morning waking up. So I want to make sure that I don't get in the way of what God wants to do this morning in his word. And so we're going to pray for that, but I'm going to pray that we would just have open hearts and minds as well. Father, we come before you this morning again, so thankful for a time to worship you. And Lord, I know that as is true in, in many of our lives, um, sometimes we're just a little groggy in the morning. We're not really uh, fully engaging what you have for us. And so Lord, I pray that you just give us clarity of mind, give us wisdom, give us an openness and an understanding of your word by the working of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that by faith through grace that we would just come before you seeking your will, your wisdom, your guidance. So, Lord, open up your word to us. Give us understanding. Help me, Lord, not to get in the way of what you want to do this morning. Speak through me because, Lord, the only message that counts is what you have for us this morning. So help me not to get in the way, but I pray that you would use this time to glorify your name and bless others. Father, we praise you, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for that. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 4. Romans chapter 12 and verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And I want to go back up just a little bit there to verses 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. The Apostle Paul is writing here to the church, the believers in Rome. And now when you think that, don't think Roman Catholic Church. That is not what this is. That's not even in existence yet. This is just a group of believers who happen to be in Rome. Most likely, if you were with us in our Roman study we did a couple years ago, most likely the Church of Rome that Paul is writing to here was founded by believers that were at the day of Pentecost. So the opinion is that there were believers there from Rome that were at the day of Pentecost that received Christ in Acts 2 and then left, went home, and in Rome started gathering together and to preach and teach and come together in Christ the things that they heard on the day of Pentecost. And so Paul, being an apostle and wanting to encourage the church, writes probably, if not his greatest, but one of the greatest theological works in the New Testament and covers so many areas of the Christian life. And in so doing, wanting to equip these new believers. Remember, if these believers were saved at the day of Pentecost, then they have not 
had any other revelation given to them by an apostle or a teacher that we know of other than what Peter declared on the day of Pentecost. Now, that's sufficient for salvation. It's sufficient to come to know Christ, of course. But I'm sure there was many questions they had. As Christians, how do we handle this? How do we live through that? How do we do this? And so Paul writes this amazing letter to the church at Rome who he did not know personally, but was hoping to get to know them. As you read the letter, you're going to find out that Paul's desire was that he would come to Rome. He does arrive, but in a different way than maybe he was planning. Uh, He arrives there as a prisoner and he ends up being martyred for his faith. But the desire of Paul was to use the church of Rome as a base, kind of a base camp, kind of like we did with the church of Antioch. And the desire was to then spread out even farther. And he says he wanted to go as far as Spain. And so Rome was a very important church to the Apostle Paul. He desired greatly to be used by God to encourage this church. And so he writes here in chapter 12 some amazing truths about the reality of the body of Christ. And again, we come to kind of the practical section of the book of Romans. Chapter 12 begins a section of kind of practical Christian living. And so when you read 12 and 13, 14, 15, all the way through the end, you're going to find a lot of very practical, real-life Christian-type experiences. So Paul's writing this here, and as we see this listing of things here, and we read even all of chapter 12, if you've read it or studied it through on your own, you're going to see a lot of encouragements. Uh, do this, be this way, think this way, act this way. And if we're not careful what we'll do as Christians, and because we desire to please God, we want to honor God, we want to do what pleases him, we'll see listings like this and we'll go, okay, if I do all these things, then God's okay with me. If I do all these things, then God will love me. If I do all these things, then I'll keep my salvation and I'll, I'll make God happy and we'll be fine. We have to be so careful we don't read this listing of chapter 12 and the practical encouragements with the gifts or with just practical Christian living in that lens. We have to read chapter 12 in the light of the rest of the book of Romans. We can't just pick chapter 12 and say, okay, this is what I got to do to make God happy. We have to understand it in the right way. So again, chapter 12 must not be seen as a list of do's and don'ts. And if you do, then God will love you. And if you don't, then God's mad at you. We can't see it that way. It can only be seen through the lens of the rest of the book. And so I'm not going to do an in-depth study on Romans this morning, but I do want to give you a little background because I think this is helpful for our understanding of how we see these verses we started with. So in chapter, or in Romans rather, we see that chapters one through three give us our base, our sinfulness. In order to understand chapter 12, we have to go all the way back chapter one through chapter three. We see our sinfulness. All of the world is guilty in sin, the Bible says. There is none righteous, no, not one. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. You see, chapter 1 deals with kind of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and how they were guilty in sin. Chapter 2 of Romans deals with the Jewish people and how they had drifted into sin, and they were sinful at birth. Chapter 3 says and tells us very clearly, for everyone, for all have fallen short, for the world is guilty in sin. And we need to start there to understand the relationship we have with God now through Christ. So it must be seen through the lens of our sinfulness, Then we talk about the gift of salvation through Christ. We see this in chapter 3, verses 23, chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That that only comes through what we find in chapters 5 through chapter 8, 
The idea that that peace, that salvation, that newness of life can only come through Christ by faith. Chapter 5 is a beautiful text that talks about that we now have peace with God through faith. And so here we understand that this gives us the uh, mindset that we need to have to understand how we see chapter 12. Also, notice the opening three verses of chapter 12. So we read verses 4 through 8. Look at verses 1 through 3. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Margie's song was was perfect, speaking to this idea. We will not chase and pursue and love the things of the world, but we will love the things of the Lord, and we will seek him and his will. And I love that line in there that we will live his truth. People want to talk today about living your truth. My truth in myself is horribly flawed. It is at its base sinful and perverted and corrupt. I only need one truth in my life, and that's the person of Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's the truth we live out as followers of Christ, not my truth. The worst advice you can give someone is follow your heart. Because the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. No, we follow Christ. I don't follow my heart, I follow Christ. And I pray that my heart will be conformed to his and his mindset. But in the meanwhile, I trust Christ. I don't trust myself. And so here he says, this is the point of why we give our lives as a sacrifice, that we might live unto him. Verse 2 says, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 3, for I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. That just means to think rightly. According as God, uh, I lost my place. According as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. See, God has given to every man a measure of faith. How is it that we can come to know Christ? How is it we can re- repent of our sins and trust Christ? Because he's given you a measure of faith, enough faith to believe, and then the Spirit of God works, and then we respond to that initiation of God, and we say, I believe. I receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. And we're going to dive in tonight to one of the more interesting passages in the Gospels. Uh, we're going to find ourselves in John, and we're going to do kind of a verse-by-verse breakdown of John 1, uh, a section there. And we're going to talk about this idea of who found who. Uh, did Jesus find Philip, or did Philip find Jesus? And we're going to talk about that tonight. But here we see that God has given us everything we need to come to know him as Savior. He has provided everything we need. And so here we see in verses 1 through 3 how we understand verses 4 through 8. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was broken and undone. But yet there's a grace that's been offered to us through Christ. And in receiving that grace and mercy, now I'm at peace with God. And I can live with him for all of eternity. And as a result of that, I can surrender my life to him as a living sacrifice. And out of that sacrifice comes the fruit of the spirit, the use of the gifts of the spirit for the glory of God, the blessing of his church, and the blessing of others. And we have to see it in this order. We can't get this mixed up. If you put the doing for God before the faith in God, you will end up with works, not salvation. But if you put the salvation in Christ first by grace through faith, and out of that comes the works we do for God, now we have the Christian life. And so I wanted to spend some time there because I didn't want to just read those few verses and we go, okay, I got to do that. I got to be hospitable. I'll be kind. I got to do this. I got to teach for Christ. And then I'll be good. 
You see Romans 12, 1 through 3, it starts with surrendering my own body to the Lord. It starts with my own walk with Christ. How in the world can we do verses 4 through 8? How can I live this way as a member in the body of Christ? How can I function as a member in the body of Christ? It starts by first surrendering my life to him individually. Once we do that, I will have the proper mindset as a member of the body of Christ. You see, this mindset starts in the church and moves out into the rest of our lives. First, individually, I surrender to Christ. Then I see my place in the body of Christ and how I can serve and function. And then from that, I see my place in the rest of the world. And that's verses 9 through 21 of Romans 12. How do I function in the job place? How do I function in my community? How do I live in a community that doesn't know Christ? How do I live in in an area that uh, politicians that don't know Christ and pass laws and policies that I don't agree with as a follower of Christ? How do I live under that? How do I submit to that but yet also honor Christ? How do I go to work every single day with a boss that doesn't know Christ and is kind of a jerk, if we're being honest, and does jerky things and is really mean and angry all the time and does unfair things? How do I go to work and show Christ to that individual? And Paul tells us, you want to know how you do that? Just surrender to Christ, your whole body. Surrender your mind to Christ, your life to Christ, and you'll find yourself wanting to be a blessing to that person, not be mean to them. You'll find yourself serving them and saying kindness to them, even though the rest of your employees are like, I can't stand this guy. And you're praising God that you have a job instead of complaining about the job you have. It all starts individually and it moves out into the church and then into the world around us. You see, the church is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. We talk about what is our calling as a church in the world today. It starts by understanding that we're the body of Christ. That means what Christ would do if he was on earth the church should be about doing. Whatever Jesus would be doing if he was physically on planet earth right now, whatever he would be about doing, that's the calling of the church. That's what we're supposed to be doing as the body of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to see the exact same things happen that happened in the ministry of Christ. Some people have misconstrued this idea. But it does mean that our focus, our purpose, our attention will be upon what Jesus' attention was on, the Father's will preaching the kingdom, preaching repentance, and that people would come to know him. And so we need to understand that the church is called to be the body of Christ. And in so, we are called to be a healthy body. If you're taking notes, and you can do that on the app there, uh, go to our app and pull up media sermon notes, and you'll find today's outline. If you'd like to follow along, you can do that. But we are called to be a healthy body. So what is a healthy body? Well, a healthy body of Christ is a body that has functioning members, functioning members. Here's the point. Everyone is vital to the body. Everyone is vital to the body. Let me ask you a hypothetical question. You go to bed tonight and you wake up in the morning and you go to get out of bed and your left arm decides it's just not going to work anymore. And no matter what you do, you're just kind of flopping it around, right? What's going on? Everybody ever their arm fall asleep like that? And it's so weird, right? I heard a story about a guy that he fell asleep with his arm behind his back. And he woke up and he looked over and he couldn't feel it or see it. And he literally started praying, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry for whatever sin I've done that you would take my arm. Would you please restore my arm? I repent of my sin. Like he's just crying out to the Lord. And then he said, all of a sudden he was doing this and he put his, he felt something on his side. He went like this. He felt his hand back there. Then he really started praying. Lord, I don't know what I've done that you blessed me or cursed me with this, but would you bless me and remove it? And he's kind of freaking out a little bit, as any of us would. 
But imagine in the morning you wake up and you're trying to move your left arm and your left arm says to you, now, right there, you probably are thinking, my arm is talking to me, but let's just go with the thought experiment, okay? Your left arm just says to you, you know what? I'm really sick and tired of the fact that I don't get any of the attention the right arm gets. This is nonsense. I'm just as important as the right arm. But, oh, you're right-handed, so everything's right-handed. You're right with the right hand. You do this. You do everything right-handed. But I'm just important. You know what? Until you acknowledge my value, I'm just not working anymore. Just going to be just here, present, numb, right? I don't think anybody would go, oh, this is a pretty normal thing to have happen. I think any of us would obviously go to the doctor and say, hey, a part of my body is not functioning as it should. I know that's a ridiculous illustration. It's a silly illustration, but it, to me, makes the most sense to when people in the church that know Christ refuse to function in the body of Christ as they've been gifted or talent, given talents because they don't feel as though they're as important as someone else. Because they don't get the credit someone else gets. They don't get the attention someone else gets. They don't get the position that someone else gets. And you know what? Until I get my fair due, I'm just not doing nothing. Some people don't function in the body of Christ because they've believed a lie that they're not good enough to do whatever it is that God's calling them to do. They've believed the lie that they're not smart enough, that they don't know enough of the Bible. See, the Bible is very clear on this. If you know Christ, you can serve Christ. Should we be growing in our walk with Christ? Absolutely. And I encourage you to get involved in that summer reading program where you can go check out a book and, and grow in your knowledge of the things of, of the Lord, Dis disciplines in the Christian life, various other things that we can grow in. Not just our library, but any resources that you can find that are biblically sounded resources that will help you walk with Christ. Obviously, it starts with God's word, but there's great authors that have been gifted by God, given great wisdom to speak into our lives. And so when you think about this, we, we believe these lies that we're just not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, I'm not talented enough. I could never play guitar like Jeff plays guitar. I could never do this. Like, I could never sing like so-and-so. I could never teach like so-and-so. You have no idea what God can do if you would just surrender. Because your calling on your life has nothing to do with your ability. I say this and people are like, oh, you're just being funny. No, I'm dead serious. First Corinthians 1, 26 and 27 is a verse, some verses that I go to often. And I won't quote it for you, but here's the idea. God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God uses the foolish things. I love that because I know my limitations are great. But I'm not worried about what I can do. I'm trusting in what God can do. And that's what he calls us to do as the body of Christ, to be functioning members in the body. When our body or members, parts of our bodies, do not function as they should, we seek medical attention. Why? Because we know something is not right. This is not how it's supposed to be. Equally true in the church, when the members of the body of Christ are not functioning as they should, because they don't feel as wanted or special as another part of the church body, we must address that issue. Speak to it. Address it. Understand what's going on there. We are all needed in the body, although we don't always see the big picture and how we fit. And just an illustration of this is super easy, simple illustration, but one that I, always comes to my mind is I have a puzzle piece here. It's pretty small. You guys can see that, right? For those in the back, okay, over there. Okay. You're like, was I really supposed to see that? I saw nothing. Okay. This little tiny puzzle piece. How many of you guys like doing puzzles? Who enjoys doing puzzles? Who, who takes like four days to do a puzzle that should take two days? 
or a month to do a two-day puzzle, okay? So we'll do puzzles every now and then, and we'll put them out on the dining room table, and uh, we'll, we'll work on them little by little as we go. But one of the things for me that's always difficult about a puzzle, especially a large puzzle with many, many pieces, is seeing how this little piece fits in the big picture, Right? I mean, individually, there's nothing super unique about this picture this, on this puzzle piece. I can't look at this picture and go, oh, I totally see how that fits into the grand scheme of things. Now, edges are easy, right? Corners are easy. But when you start getting into the middle of a puzzle and it just seems to kind of all look the same, so many times we think we're like these puzzle pieces. We're oddly shaped, right? We're not, we're not quite as unique as somebody else or we're more unique or we're different, We don't see how our uniqueness fits into the picture of the church. Like, how could could I fit into what God is doing? And the problem is that we're only looking at one piece, right? Now, if you're like me, I don't do a puzzle without the box. Why? And I just brought one of these puzzles from home. (laughs) So, but we don't see... We don't see how this little piece fits in the grand scheme of things. But isn't it amazing how somebody with wisdom that understands and sees the big picture can take one little piece and fit it right into place. And that puzzle piece may never figure out how valuable it really is. But once we surrender to the one that's putting the puzzle together, track with me now. And the one that sees the big picture and understands, I need you so that I can plug you in exactly where you need to be so that the picture can be seen. And here's the other thing too. You don't see the big picture. God does. And it's for others to see so that God would be glorified. We don't surrender so we can say, and I I do love this puzzle, greatest football stadium in the world. Um, called the Big House. University of Michigan plays there. So it's a great, uh, I know Keith really likes this puzzle. So I wanted to bring it. So, but when God, when you surrender to him and God takes you and places you just right in the church and you don't see the big picture, but then down the road, you hear a testimony of God using something in the church to bless someone else. And you realize, oh, that's why you needed me to surrender there. That's why you use me in that way. So what's the point? You don't see how you fit. We don't see how we fit, all unique, different shapes, sizes, talents, gifts. And God says, watch me plug you right in. Ephesians says that we fit together perfectly as a temple of God. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. Are you doubting where you fit? Are you thinking you can't possibly fit in what God wants to do? That's a lie. That's not true. Surrender and let the one who's putting the puzzle together place you exactly where you need to be. You see, there are so many unhealthy bodies in our world today. There are so many churches that have members that are not functioning as they should. And instead of seeking wisdom from the word on what they should do or receiving encouraging and challenging direction from their leadership, they merely decide to leave the body altogether, only wounding and maiming that body more. You know what? I just don't, I just don't see how I fit here, so I'm just going to leave. Man, let's spend some time in prayer asking, Lord, Lord, how would you have me plug into this church? How would you have me get involved in this church instead of just walking away? Now, let me say quickly, I understand there are times to step away from a church. 
I'm speaking to the broader church culture in America today. I understand there are biblical reasons, doctrinal reasons. There are things that churches do that you may say, you know, I just don't think that's biblical. I don't think that's appropriate. I don't think that's right. And I need to step away. That is a very big difference from that to, yeah, I didn't really like the, the, the coffee that they served this morning. And, you know, the band went a little longer than I like, or the preacher went a little longer than I like, or, you know, I didn't really like the fact that the chairs were maroon instead of blue. And so my, I'm being silly, but there are some very ridiculous, silly things that people use to decide whether they go to a church or not. And a lot of times as we talked about, it's a consumer mentality. Well, I don't really like that church because they don't really make me feel like this. Be careful there. There are very biblical, very right reasons to walk away from a church and to step away from a church. If you believe that church is not focused on the things that the Bible's focused on, they're not preaching the, the word of God, they're not encouraging in the word of God, of course there's things that would lead us to walk away. But we live in a church culture today where I feel like people are just so quick to jump around. They're not really looking for a place to connect, to join or minister in, to be an attender at, but you can still serve and say, I want to function in the body. And so just as an encouragement, how are you believing the Lord is encouraging you to plug in? You see, a healthy body has functioning members and one head. A healthy body has, a functioning, has functioning members and has one head. Ephesians chapter 5. You're in Romans. Go back just a little bit. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at two verses quickly. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23, and then we're going to drop to verse 30. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, and then verse 30. I, I love hearing God's word, the pages turning in God's word. I love that. And again, not to insult anyone using a device, I'm sure you're scrolling very passionately. <laughs> I was, I was using my phone, preacher. It's fine. It's good. All right. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. Not a popular passage today, but still true according to God's word if we understand it appropriately. Uh, by the way, I've heard many men misuse this text as well. Um, this is not giving husbands a free reign to rule with an iron fist because um, that's not how Jesus led his church. And so that is not what this is saying. But let's, we won't camp there too long. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Notice the difference. Husbands are not saviors of their wives. The illustration stops with the example of being the headship. With Christ, the, the example goes farther to say, not only is he the head of the church, he is the savior of the church. And so go to verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We are members of the body of Christ. We have been joined in with Christ in his body. And we have one head. We spoke to this before that the church has one head, Jesus Christ. It is from the head that we receive our direction our wisdom, and our purpose. Your, your head, your brain, your mind, 
tells the rest of your body what to do. And again, if something was wrong there, you would seek medical attention because that's not how it's supposed to be. But in the example of the body, your mind tells your hand what to do, your feet what to do, your eyes. It's all connected. So as the body of Christ and as members of his body, how do I understand my purpose in the church? How do I understand what I'm supposed to be doing as a follower of Christ? I don't look to other members. I don't look to the other hand and go, what do you think we should be doing today? No, I seek wisdom from the head. I seek wisdom from the one that gives us our purpose. Does that mean we can't encourage each other and try to uh, love on each other? Of course not. Hebrews 10, we, we provoke one another to love and good works. But the origin of the wisdom of how I live the Christian life doesn't start with me or another believer. It starts with Christ. It originates with Christ. At the moment of salvation, we were baptized into the body of Christ, or a more literal translation, we were plunged into Christ. That's why water baptism symbolizes spiritual baptism, which happens at the moment of salvation. I'm outside the body of Christ. I'm placed into the body of Christ. And I love the literal translation. I'm plunged into the body of Christ. I'm submerged into the body of Christ. This is why we practice water baptism by immersion, because it demonstrates dying with Christ and rising again, being plunged into the body of Christ. And so here we see this idea of being plunged into Christ, but notice his headship remains. We are placed into the body of Christ and his headship remains. He was not plunged into us, but we into him. He did not submit to our guidance, our purpose, our direction. We submit to his. Yes, the spirit takes up residence in our lives as we are indwelled and sealed by the spirit, but the control remains with Christ. So we have one head, and that is Christ. You see, the church is the body of Christ, a healthy body with functioning members and one head. The church is the body of Christ, not a business. The church is the body of Christ, not a business. What do I mean by that? Well, first in your notes, it's not a franchise. It's not just a market model strategy that we just copy and duplicate. And again, as I say this, understand my heart. This is not attacking any one church, any individual I'm speaking to a mindset of of church leadership in our country today, church growth strategies. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. um, And I told you, I've heard this before from a church growth guru guy that does a podcast that helps you to grow your church, break the 200 barrier, break the 500 barrier. Um, It would sound something similar to what you'd find if you were starting a franchise and how to market and how to strategize and all of that. And he was asked about how long a sermon should go for. And you guys know the minute I heard that, I was like, turn that off. I don't need any of that. I don't need none of that. And he made a comment. I can't remember if I shared this a couple weeks ago, but here's an example. And I've, I've, every time I hear it or think of it, it's a little ad that pops up every now and then. It says, sermons are not gauged in minutes. They're gauged in minutes beyond interest. So if you have 18 minutes of interesting things to say, Don't preach a 30-minute sermon. Preach an 18-minute sermon. And that bothers me because I have no idea, how are you defining interesting? And when I listen to some of their podcasts, it sounds like interesting is more about felt needs 
how to help you to do this or do that. Like, help me to know how to be a good dad, how to be a good mom, how to be a good this. And those are fine to some degree. We need to speak to those things, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife. Here's the, here's the catch, though. If we learn how to be a follower of Christ, passionate, surrendered, and sold out to Jesus in his word and in prayer, I will be a good husband. I will be a good father. I don't start with, okay, I want to be a good father. What do I got to do? No, I start with, how do I follow Christ? How do I commit my life to him? And out of the overflow of that relationship comes the blessing to my children, my spouse, my community, and my church. So again, this is not attacking an individual church, person, a denomination, or a group. This is attacking or speaking to a mindset that has crept into the church. Because the church is a body, not a business. You see, there are churches that have developed a model and merely plug that model into wherever they want to open a new franchise and you get results. Obviously, you can use means and methods to reach the community. I'm all for that. Organize ministries and how to function day to day. We do that here at North Goodland. We have an organizational mindset that we put things in place and we want to make sure we structure things well. However, the difference is the drive. How do we drive the church? How is the church driven? When we are driven by a business model, the result or profit is all that matters. It does not matter how you get there. If you have happy and satisfied return customers, it's validated. It doesn't matter what you do or how you do church or what you do in church. As long as you have happy, satisfied, and return customers, we can validate anything we want. And this is why we have churches doing things like secular, non-Christian music in their worship services. Which saying that out loud sounds as ridiculous as it reads. Churches having to edit lyrics of songs so they become church appropriate, so they can do them in worship. Why? Why do we go down that road? Why do churches feel the need to do this so that people will connect, feel comfortable, listen to the message, and come back. Now, I believe that music in the church can be multifaceted. Some of you grew up in churches where it was very extreme one way or the other. Some of you grew up in churches where there was no musical instruments on the stage. And I believe music in the church can be unique to that congregation. Everything from, quote-unquote, and I don't care for these terms, traditional hymns, in a traditional style, or uh, no music whatsoever, so very conservative, very traditional type worship, to what we've heard of tribal groups doing through Ethnos 360, where they had no music in their culture, no understanding of music. Could you imagine that? I love music. I couldn't imagine living in a culture that had no idea about music, like instruments. They had no knowledge of it in some of these tribal groups that they've reached for Christ. And you know what? When they started getting saved and coming to know Christ and they're going through the book of Acts and they're reading about some of the letters and they're worshiping God, they were asking the missionaries, how do we do this? Like, how do we sing songs? What does that even look like? Imagine that for a moment. Like, how do we even play an instrument? Like, what does that even sound like? And so the missionary wrote some songs that they thought would be appropriate and kind of fun. And so they gave it to the congregation. And I think the first Sunday they did it. The next Sunday they showed up and the tribal people said, they handed them the music back and said, we're just going to do our own thing. Thanks. And the missionary was like, I guess they want my songwriting career. Like, that was it. Like, thought I was going to be the next Matt Redman, but I guess not. 
And he said, well, what do you guys want to do for worship? And they said, well, God's word is God's word, so it pleases God, right? And they were like, well, yeah. So the tribal people all on their own said, well, why don't we just sing God's word back to him? It's his word. He must love it and like it. So let's just sing that back to him. And that's the heart of worship. That's what it really means to say, what would please God the most in our worship? Let's do that. And they love doing that. But again, it's multifaceted. In some places, it's uh, when I was in Romania and I went to a, a gypsy church, that was different. I mean, those, those, they, they knew how to put on some worship. They were getting after it. And it was awesome to see them singing and praising and worshiping God and just shouting his praises. But then I went to a Romanian church, literally in a different town over, very conservative worship, and, and nobody really smiled much. They're worshiping just very normal kind of solemn faces. And I was kind of thinking, oh, this is kind of a tough crowd, you know. And so I asked the missionary, I said, why did they look so sad singing worship? And they said, no, no, they're not sad. They take it that serious. That's how they worship. They're so much serious. And God, you are so good to us. We have to worship you. We want to praise you. And they see it as such a serious matter to praise God that they just think of it as a serious thing. And that's how they worship. All of it is God glorifying if he's at the center of it. All of it's God glorifying if it's about him. And so music in church can be multifaceted and unique. Many groups worship and praise God many different ways. However, our music must have one very important and unmistakably biblical commonality. It's about Christ. It's to Christ. It's for Christ. The idea that some churches feel the need to convince people to be comfortable and come back by playing music on the radio. Now, if you listen to secular music in your own vehicle, in your own car, and whatever, that's, I'm not judging anyone. I'm not saying that's, that's between you and the Lord. But when it comes to worship, there should be a difference. It should be about Jesus. And it bothers me that Christians believe they have to help the Holy Spirit in such a way that they don't believe just preaching the word and letting the spirit work is enough. And that breaks my heart. You see, it's not a franchise. Why make such a big deal about this? Because the church is not for us, it's for Jesus. So our worship better be for Jesus. So it's not a franchise, but also it's not up to us to get results. First Corinthians, go back. You are in... Ephesians, 1 Corinthians is right after the book of Romans. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. Because it's not a business, it's not a franchise that we just plug in a model and God, or that it just produces results regardless of what God's doing or not doing. Because it's not those things, the results are not up to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. The Apostle Paul writing here to the church of Corinth says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now this is an amazing passage because people in the church were fighting over who the best preacher was. Some said, I'm of Paul. Some said, I'm of Apollos. And some said, I'm of Cephas or Peter, that being the Apostle Peter. 
And they, would start, they were starting to group up under certain speakers. It'd be like you saying, and he just went home to be with the Lord recently, and what a man of God he was and the legacy he left, but Charles Stanley. And some of you might say, oh, no, I'm, I'm a Charles Stanley guy. Like, I love Charles Stanley. And some of you may have a different pastor or speaker or teacher that you've really just felt like you've grown under. And in the Corinthian church, they were starting to say, well, I'm of Apollos. I think he's the best one. I'm of Paul, right? Well, I'm of Peter. I mean, he was one of the original 12. And they were starting to bicker and fight about whose guy was best, about who was really the best preacher. It sounds like Apollos was actually a pretty, pretty eloquent speaker, pretty powerful speaker. And I love Paul's response. Paul doesn't say, I'm obviously the best. Because I founded the church. Paul was the one that started the church of Corinth. But he doesn't use that. He doesn't say, I'm better than them. I'm better than Apollos. I had to correct Peter. And he wasn't doing it right. I had to call him out in Galatians. So, uh, you know, I'm obviously better than him. No, Paul says, you don't understand. We're all working together. We're all coming together. He says, I have planted, meaning planting the church. Apollos has watered, meaning he's encouraged and strengthened and nurtured the church through the preaching of God's word. He says, but it's none of us that do anything. It's God that gives the increase. You see, in a business model, the effort to produce results falls on the one selling the product, marketing the product, to appeal to as many customers as possible, increase the profit margin and just get results. However, when we speak about the purpose of the church in the world today, we, the body, are not called to be manufacturers of anything, merely distributors of the gospel. We're just called to be distributors of the gospel. We don't convert anyone. We don't convict anyone. We don't sell, save anyone. We don't sell anyone on Jesus. Now, does that mean we don't have conversations and debate? Of course we do. There's a place for that. But you don't do the work of conviction in someone's heart. You don't do the work of salvation in someone's heart. You begin to share the gospel and the spirit of God begins to prick their heart and convict their heart and draw them to repentance. Does that mean we don't matter? No, we're very vital to that process because we're called to share so that the spirit can use us in that way. But it is the work of the spirit that moves in the hearts of the minds to bring about conviction of sin, repentance of sin, and calling out the Christ by faith through grace. Yes, we, his body, under his direction, have a job to do. That's preaching and sharing the word. It's praying for God to work in those lives. It's seeking him daily for our needs. Greatest of all is wisdom, and it's serving those around us. We're called to that. I loved it yesterday at Men's Prayer Breakfast. Someone shared for their in-laws to be saved. And they said, just pray that they got to do a work in their lives. And I love that, that we as men were able to pray for this family to say, Lord, would you just work and bring about salvation in that situation. We have a role to play, but we don't produce anything in someone's life. We merely connect them with the one who wants to change them into his image. You see, and yet, even in serving those around us and praying for them, we do not grow a church. Jesus builds his church. So why do I encourage you with that? We need to stop burdening ourselves with getting results. It's not your burden to carry. Stop burdening yourself about making someone believe, getting someone to believe, getting someone to come to church. No, no, no. You just encourage them. Just pray for them. Just love on them. Just serve them and let God do the work. Plant the seed of the word. Water and care for it through prayer and discipleship and leave the growth to God. 
This is why the Lord laid on my heart the week leading up to Easter to be praying for our local churches and local pastors. And I have some friends that are in ministry in different places, and I prayed for them because so often around Easter time, what happens is pastors feel this pressure to perform. We got to put on the show, right? We got to put on the good show because we got a lot of visitors and we want them to come back. So we got to make it look good, sound good. Everything's got to be perfect. And it's kind of become a running joke. Some people have made, you know, jokes about it or whatever. But I know pastors personally who have literally not slept the night before because they were so burdened to just get it right. I got to preach just the right message in just the right way with just the right illustration so that somebody will go, wow. Man, that, that guy can preach or that church can worship. And I was praying the week leading up to Easter, Lord, would you help our local pastors, local church leaders to not fall for the trap? Because you're not here because of me and our band and our ministries. I pray you're here because the Lord has drawn you here and wants to connect you here in the body of Christ so that you would be blessed, he would be glorified, and we can reach this community for Christ. If you are here for me or this attempt at preaching that we try every Sunday, you're here for the band, you're here for a program, you will be disappointed. You will be discouraged. And I, based on ministry experience, you won't be here long because there will always be a church that does it better. There'll always be a program that's a little bit cleaner, a little bit nicer, a little bit more high tech, a little bit better. There'll always be a preacher with a better illustration. So what's the point of all of this? We don't carry the burden of results. We just love on people for Christ. We just share the gospel with them. We, we lead them to Jesus and we let him do the work. We are the body of Christ. All uniquely gifted and unique in talents. Members of the same body. So I have a question for you this morning as we close. You don't need to answer out loud, but how are you functioning in the body? How are you allowing God to lead you and where and how you serve? This is also, again, saying, and I, I, I want to make sure this is clear, this is not saying that we are better than any other church, that we somehow got it all figured out. We're far from it. Churches that preach the gospel and lead others to Christ, we're all part of the same body. They may do ministry differently. They may do things that we don't agree with, but if they're preaching Jesus and there's people coming to saving faith in Christ apart from any other work, then they are in the same body we are. Different local bodies, but the same church, if you will, the same universal church, the body of Christ. However, I, I do believe in saying that, that we can discern things that we see happening in church culture and conclude whether that is appropriate for church. We can be in the same church, meaning the same universal body of Christ, and look at other church ministries and say, you know what, I don't think that's right. And it's okay to do that because that's not judgment, that's discernment. Judgment would be I'm better than them because they do that and I don't. Discernment would say, I don't agree with that. I'm going to pray that God would open their heart and their mind to the word of God. Our goal is not to be the best church in Lapeer County. Our goal is not to be the biggest church in Lapeer County. We're not in competition with anyone. We're not competing for customers. We are striving to be the church in Lapeer County. We just be the church and let God do the work. Would you pray with me as you bow in prayer? Father, we thank you for this morning.
I do pray, Lord, that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that as the body of Christ, you desire to use us in this church for your glory. Father, I know that there's many sitting here today or many watching online that would disagree with that. They would say that, you know what, they're just not gifted. They're not talented enough. There's no way they could fit. Lord, maybe there's somebody here that is coming out of a sin situation. Maybe they made some sinful decisions. They've repented of those things, Lord. They've turned from that sin. They've turned to you. They've asked for forgiveness. They've surrendered to you. And Lord, yet they, they still feel that burden, that weight, that somehow because of what they've done, they can't be used by you. Lord, I pray that you'd set them free from that mindset. That you'd help them to know that by your grace, that you can restore them and use them for your glory. Father, for the one here this morning that maybe is living in sin right now, that knows under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that how they're living and what they're doing is not pleasing to you, that they're a follower of Christ. They, 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 they receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they know right now the way they're living, whatever the sin thing is, Lord, they know it's not right. You've already convicted them of it. I pray that they would surrender that thing to you and ask for forgiveness, realize who they are in Christ, repent and turn from that sin and trust in you that you would restore them. And Father, I lift up the one here this morning, either in person or online, that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. Maybe there's somebody sitting here this morning, Lord, that has gone to church before, or maybe this is their first time. They've been baptized, or maybe they've had no affiliation with the church whatsoever. But Lord, they don't know Christ. They've never for themselves admitted before you that they have sinned. Acknowledged the consequence of that sin, a separation from you. They've not repented or turned from that sin and asked you to save them, surrendering and giving you their life. And Lord, I pray that as only you can, that you would do the work of convicting and drawing them to repentance, that they would come to know Christ, that they would realize that your love for them is great and that there is no sin that you cannot forgive. So I pray that they would do that this morning, right there in their seats, that they would just pray that prayer between you and them in their hearts and ask you to save them, ask you to forgive them of their sins and to restore them into the joyful life that you have for them. Father, in all these things, as we talk about the church being a body and your body and functioning members and, and using our gifts and talents for you, I pray that you would give us your wisdom and how this would apply to our lives Maybe there's somebody here that physically can't do anything, really, as far as um, they can't get up on a ladder, they can't work on something, they can't do those things because they're just their body won't let them anymore. And they may think, oh, what can I possibly do to function in the body of Christ? Lord, I pray that they would know that one of the greatest things we can do to encourage and strengthen the body is prayer. And so maybe there's somebody here that says, you know what, I can't do a whole lot physically, but I can pray. I'm going to pray for the church. I'm going to pray for the pastor. I'm going to pray for the youth pastor. I'm going to pray for the ministry leaders. I'm going to pray that God will use this place to draw people to Christ. I'm going to pray that diligently. What a way to function and support the body of Christ. And so, Lord, I, I know we covered a lot of ground this morning. I pray that you would give us your wisdom and glorify your name above all things. Lord, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we have a time of invitation? Would you come and and pray this morning? Would you come and bow a knee? Maybe you feel there's no way you can fit in the body of Christ. Maybe you'd come and say, Lord, show me where I fit, that I might serve you and honor you as a member of this body. Whatever it is that God is doing, would you respond as we sing?